I think developing this app has been my coping mechanism, really, because I wouldn't just be, I, I'm just not the sort of person you could just sort of sit around and, and not really do much. I had to do something. You know, I'd just be worrying about it. You know, my, my grandparents are, are very, very elderly in 90 and 96. And so in those first few days when lockdown was announced, I was just, I just found myself thinking, if they get it, that's probably going to be the last thing that happens to them. So, you know, that really spurred me on and I just, I couldn't just sit there and think, you know, worry about that. I had to do something. Welcome to Conversations with Des. I'm your host, Des Blanchfield. Today I'm joined in the studio by Nick Carrington, who I would describe as not just an entrepreneur, but I'm sure a serial entrepreneur over time. Nick, great to have you on the show. Thanks for making time to join us. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. What a great intro. <laughs> indeed. Well, in, in the world of VC and startup, being a serial entrepreneur is indeed a badge of honor, and, and you have well and truly earned that, and we're going to get into that in a moment. So just a quick intro to um, kind of what we wanted to chat about today. See, there's no secret that the world's currently uh, enduring a global pandemic um, in the form of a, a novel derivative of the coronavirus we call COVID-19. Uh, it, it's hit the entire planet. Uh, a number of us are looking at ways that we can do something about it in response to it, whether it's just, you know, keeping our families and ourselves safe and continue to keep the lines on in our own business. You took the added step of actually building something which we're going to get into called Bioblast. And uh, uh, from one of the bios and, and, and articles I was reading, there's a great line that I'm going to steal and paraphrase. And it essentially described you saying that you ended up creating Bioblast in just, I'm saying under two weeks, but about two weeks. Uh, and, and keeping in mind that usually apps sort of you know take months or even years to develop before they're released, and you crank this thing out in two weeks, which we'll get into the journey of. The game itself is similar to the super addictive and lucrative Candy Crush, and no, there's no secret about what that game is and the fact that they make mega dollars and well done to them. And I think the concept was that if you could raise even just a fraction of what that uh, game Candy Crush could raise in its normal operations through various things like in-game uh, uh, app purchases and, and advertising, you could have a significantly massive positive impact. Um, I wonder if we could maybe just start out there before we get into the game and how it came about and, and sort of where you want to take it with just getting to know you a little bit better and get to know uh, Nick Carrington. I understand you're currently in Bristol, which I think is uh, you sort of hit London and turn left and go west and stop before you hit, run into the ocean. But um, uh, where are you from originally? Where did you grow up and kind of what are the things that uh, inspired you as a young man? Yeah, so I'm, I'm quite young still, 28 years old. Um, I was born in London, but uh, grew up in the English countryside. Um, and then moved to Bristol, studied law at university, um, absolutely hated law, uh, <laughs> um, far too much reading and far too much like hard work. Um, so yeah, that's sort of what, uh, and it was at university that, um, I decided to sort of branch out into entrepreneurship and that's where I started my first business, which, which I think we'll get into later, photography based, um, based, uh, venture. Right. Well, yeah. So, so, so that was sort of early, early days. Um, yeah. Reminds me of the uh, well, one of my favourite lines from a Shakespearean play that uh, the lead character says something to the effect of uh, first thing we do is kill all the lawyers." Um, yeah. <laughs> and ninety percent of my close friends and associates who've gone through law and various things move out. Eventually, it's a pretty hard tack. Um, in your uh, early years, of sort of growing up as a kid, uh, I mean, you've gone into an interesting couple of things. We'll talk about your first uh, venture, your photography business, in a moment, because I was fascinated by that and I love the disruptive component of it, which is very much a very 2020 concept. Um, was there anyone in particular or anything that sort of inspired you to go down this route where you sort of, you know, not only just decided to go into law, which I think is a great foundation for all things in life, but sort of just to build things and sort of be a creator per se? Yeah, I think having studied law, which is extremely dry. Um, I was really inspired by 
you know, these people who, who actually, you know, invent stuff and create stuff and make things better, make life better for people by, you know, various innovations and various companies. Um, so, yeah, I really, that sort of really captured my imagination and, um, and sort of spurred me on. And, um, yeah, so I think that's where I get my, my entrepreneurial spirit from. It's very much a generational thing now. I mean, I've got a 15-year-old son and an 18-year-old daughter, which ages me terribly compared to you. But, um, you know, both of them have uh, a similar sort of aspirations that they, they want to develop a, a, an education, a career path, but they aren't necessarily going to just do a traditional job role. And initially that kind of concerned me, but then I looked at it and went, you know, if guys like yourself, Nick, can do amazing things, I'm sure my two kids will when they grow up. But uh, I think that's very much a thing... And, I, you know, at the grand old age of 52, I wish I could go back sort of 30-odd years and, and have all the tools and technology and information, knowledge and access that's available now and do sorts of things that you're doing because I find it really inspiring that people can actually achieve so many amazing goals with you know, short time frames and limited budgets and just a hell of a lot of uh, elbow grease yeah. and sweat. Um, tell us a little bit about your first venture because when we were talking uh, uh, yesterday when we sort of first caught up and, and just sort of chat about your idea um, I was quite inspired by the fact that you, sort of, you were talking about when you were at Union and as you, you know, qualify you, you, you pass your degree and you sort of do the whole passing out ceremony and there's a photography uh, part component of it and you were talking about how it was quite expensive and it was a very rigorous process but uh, I mean your first venture from what I understand and I'd love to give it a little bit of background on it was to disrupt all that space and sort of offer a, a, an equal service but at a better price and, and uh, from what I understand literally across the road from the college. Yeah exactly so so that, that, that's how the story goes you know I sort of I was graduating from law um, not that keen on going into a legal career um, and sort of looking for various things to, to do instead. Um, and funnily enough, it sort of it struck me on my very graduation day. So, yeah, so as, as you said, you know, I was sort of I was getting my, you know, official photographs taken, you know, when you, you stand there in your in your cap and gown and you hold the scroll and they they take a picture and um, and then they and then they hit you with the price, eighty pounds for sort of two photos or something. Oh, um, I thought it's absolutely <laughs> ridiculous, um, especially for students, you know, who who are sort of at least thirty thousand pounds in debt. Um, it's really a very unfair situation. So I, I did a bit of research, looked into it, and found that the, um, the universities are actually taking a cut of the of the photography um, up to like fifty percent. Wow. So. I figured, well, if I can just do it the same cost as them, I'll be saving 50% by just not being associated with the university. Right. Um, so, yeah, so that's that's what I did. I bought some equipment. I hired some student photographers who had some, some great cameras and stuff. And and, uh, and we, we literally just set up on Facebook, uh, you know, put a put a shout out to all the students and said, hey, you know, get your, get your photos half price by just coming across the road instead of, you know, getting them done in the in the actual ceremony hall um and and that that really took off that really really you know helped people save money and um and was really popular so yeah i love the idea and there's so many things in that but i mean we could do a whole show on that separately and i think i'm tempted to do that another day but uh you know just the idea of you know uh, I mean, it's very much in the context of, of current society thinking of disrupting things uh i agree with you if you're paying that much money to get a degree you think they could chip in for an 80 dollar photo um but i also like the sort of the whole hacker ethic to that where it's like you know um you're offering an alternative uh, you're not necessarily slashing the price 
Uh, and I can imagine you get a lot more creative. I mean, I could sort of see the thing where it's like, yes, you get the formal shot, but I imagine you could almost get a couple of different themes, like an Insta- Instagram, a angel wings background, and a whole bunch of other funky stuff, yeah. right? And, you, know, you could really branch out. Uh, I guess in, in the theme of being disrupted, though, along came COVID-19 and probably disrupted that because no one can physically get together for a while. But uh, So I imagine that's had a, a bit of an impact on the business uh, for the current time anyway. Absolutely. And um, that's that's sort of what led to the, the development of the game. Right. Um, was the fact that I, I had a lot more time on my hands because uh, universities are closed now in the UK. Um, and uh, grad- most graduations have been postponed, if not cancelled. So, yeah, a bit of uncertainty there. Um, and I sort of sulked for a few days when we were put into lockdown thinking, oh, you know, bother (laughs) this is gonna be this is gonna be um you know a real pain in the bum um i'm sure sterner words than that but i'm glad you beat it out (laughs) (laughs) save me editing that later it, exactly. It's probably, um, I mean, in many ways, though, the, the, the model works perfectly. You can scale it globally, I'm sure. So I, I, I have every confidence that you're going to uh, dust it off uh, in a few months and put it back into life and take it, take it to the next level because I think it's a really fun idea. And I can imagine you'll be able to extend it beyond just uh, graduation photos and, and so forth. Um, so, you know, I think it's, it's a really great format and it'll scale. Um, once, you, once you did get the point where you realised that you had to sort of put the whole thing on hold, um, so you sort of went on to build uh, this project. Now, I'd love to sort of just start at the very beginning of this because I think it's such a great story. I mean, so, you know, the global b- pandemic breaks out. Your initial venture of the photography business uh, gets put on hold for a period and it'll, it'll come back, I'm sure. Um, yeah. You had this epiphany that you could do something else in a eureka moment. And, and from what I understand, it sort of drawn some inspiration from other types of, of problem-solving solutions and then looked at what Candy Crush had done and thought, well, why couldn't I create something like that? Um, maybe just can we start it with uh, just a quick intro to kind of what the game actually is. So bi- it's called BioBlast. It's a smartphone uh, app game. Um, it's essentially modeled around the, the fundamental components of the Candy Crush game that's very famous around the world, makes it a trillion dollars. Um, give us a, a quick 30,000-foot view of the, the game itself, and we'll sort of delve into the details of how it came about. Yeah, so so as I mentioned, yeah, I'm sort of inspired by, as you mentioned, um, Candy Crush and a few other things, you know. I'm always sort of, I'm always reading about various businesses, and and I was I was staggered by how much uh, revenue they make. You know, it's two million pounds a day. I'm not sure what that is in Oz dollars, but it's, it's a, a lot. lot of money. Uh, <laughs> it's probably about twice <laughs> as much. Um, our money's not worth much. That's so probably about four million a day. It's bringing a tear to my eye of envy. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, and I, I was just staggered by that. And I thought, wow, you know, that is a lot of money. Um, they really, they're really on something here, and. You know, what if what if we could we could use that for a good cause? Um, so I sort of had that in the back of my mind, and then and then the coronavirus hit, and I just thought, this is this is the time to, to give that idea a go. You know, um, and I've been interested in in other companies like Ecosia, um, which is like a, a search engine that, as you search, you plant trees. You know, the advertising funds the trees. Um, it's sort of like an environmental twist on free donations. Um, and that that really inspired me because it's like, wow, you can actually do something positive um, without asking people for money. So you know, you're actually creating value there for for a good cause by just you know tapping into something that people would already use in their everyday life anyway. So so yeah, so you know, going back to to Bioblast, the you know I modeled it on Candy Crush because it's it's the most popular game pretty much in the world. Um, and like we said, raises a lot of money um, for their profits. 
Um, and and so yeah, I thought, well, you know, what better what better thing to emulate? Try and emulate. You know, it's not it's not identical, but it's um, it's similar. Um, sure. So yeah. No, that's a good move. I mean, uh, if anything, it's a, a fortuitous in many ways that you found that particular. Because if there's one thing that people have got at the moment, it's time on their hands in the lockdown state. Uh, there was a really cute line. Uh, it was a World War Two vet, uh, actually out of the UK, and he was on. Uh, uh, I think it was 60 Minutes or something to that effect, and he was interviewed, and his one line that really just broke me, I, I went to tears on it, he said, you know, his generation went to war for us and put their lives on the line, and all they're asking at his age now is stay at home and sit on the couch, you know, and I was like, yeah. wow. <laughs> so, you know, you think yeah. about the whole planet literally doing that, you know, there's only so much content you can watch online and eventually run out of YouTube videos. Um, and so I can imagine this is a perfect yeah. fit because, you know, people have got time in their hands and they can challenge each other. Uh, walk us Absolutely, through the yeah. walk us through the whole process. I mean, so you had the idea. Uh, obviously, you, you must have gone through a couple of key stages as far as like mapping out, developing it, getting some some help to build the game. Because um, um, I think you mentioned earlier that uh, when we were talking offline that you you'd brought a developer on board. What are the what were the key steps? Of sort of from the moment you sat down and started, just I guess you know sketching out you know, user story style sort of screen images and, and a breakdown of the flow. Walk us through sort of that zero to hero journey of kind of from the eureka moment to actually getting the thing live and in the game stores or the app stores. Yeah, so I did sort of a few days of, of, of mapping out, you know, game game journeys, um, sort of looking at the, the most popular games around, you know, what makes them popular, stuff like that. You know, you've got to have a, you've got to find a balance between, you know, giving letting people pass um levels easily and making it harder and sort of finding that balance is quite important to to get people hooked um but also make it a fun game to play um so that was a that was a few days of just planning planning out mapping out which levels should be hard which which should be slightly easier what sort of elements the game should have you know we have we have levels that are timed we have levels that are you have a certain number of moves you can use and then we have levels where you have to collect certain ingredients. Um, so it's it's very varied, um, and we wanted to make it so it wasn't sort of it, it wasn't stale. So you're not doing the same thing every every level. You know you, you've got different goals to achieve. Um, huh. And then and then I jumped on Upwork, um, found a developer. You know because we're because <laughs> we're all on lockdown, so couldn't exactly go out and <laughs> speak to anyone I knew. No. But um, but yeah, so. Yeah, found found someone really competent and um, and and then got cracking on on developing the you know the design of it. Also, you know, we went we've gone with a with a sort of virus theme, um, which which um, some of the app stores weren't weren't too happy about, but um, we we got got through in the end. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, I imagine that's a bit of a journey itself because you've gone through that process of designing and developing, as you said, getting the game sort of flow right. Uh, I love the fact that you've gone straight to something like Upwork and sort of you know use the gig economy to build this thing and, and fast track the process. Um, and as I said, it's like it's one of those things where, as unfortunate as the global pandemic is, it's kind of given a number of projects like this one the opportunity to kind of really push the the whole process of new agile you know gig economy approaches to problem solving to the limit. And and you've not only nailed it. 
Um, so from what I understand, it took you like two weeks, like not even that, to get from sort of an idea to getting yeah. it up and running. That's that's mind-boggling. I mean, my own experience with sort of, you know, more enterprise app development on, on mobile device and so forth, it could take 18 months to get something up and running for like a bank app. I mean, there's some security challenges there, but... Uh, in the middle, I've had sort of you know government applications for various things where people you know apply for everything from <clears throat> employment support to to you know social support whatever to just registering their cars, and even at the best, it's like eight or nine months to get something for a car registration process for a single app. That you just basically log in and and click yes 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 and put in a credit card. So you've yeah. not only short circuited the process, you've literally probably got the ground speed record of two weeks of getting a new game up and running. <laughs> Um, was yeah. there was it a case of you didn't really can't, you hadn't done it before, so you didn't really know what the limitations were, so you just threw yourself at it and just ignored the rules and just knocked it out of the park? Or um, they, what, what were some of the, the key steps to sort of in your mind thinking, all right, well, we're just going to get this done as fast as possible, get a minimal viable product up and running? Yeah, it was it was pretty much um, we didn't know any any better. So I mean, I have <laughs> I have been involved in a few a few app projects before, but I was like, let's just like you say let's just throw all that out the window you know this is now let's just we're gonna two weeks it's gonna be it's got to be done you know if if, we, if it's longer than two weeks we're gonna have missed the boat basically so we just need to we, you know if we're gonna work day and night we're just gonna get it done and um and actually the longest the longest process was the review process for, from the app stores um which which is longer these days because of obviously you know uh, different work schedules due to due to the virus itself so that was quite frustrating, you know, to have it ready to go and submitting it to the app store and then then saying, you know, ah, well, you, we think you should tweak this thing. And, and and then we had to go back to the, you know, back and redesign something and then submit it again and, and then wait another four days or whatever it was to, right. to get, the, get the review. Yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, understandably, uh, every one of those companies is doing what we're all doing, is, which is uh, Moving from an office to working at home, I imagine a lot of those organisations at scale, uh, you know, the likes of Apple and, and Google in particular, are as far as iOS and, and Android platforms go. I mean, they're probably a lot of remote developers anyway. But uh, the review process is probably an administrative process, so they're all trying to work at home and do their jobs as well. So, I mean, even four days is probably a quick turnaround times in the grand scheme of things. Um, so, from the point of actually getting the first working version, I mean, from what I understand, it was built on a platform called Unity. That sort of speeds up the process as far as uh, software development kits and, and platforms go. You've had it in for review. It's been approved. What are the key stages that sort of get from there to launching it? And then how did you get it out into the world? Because I personally came across it from uh, something that just turned up in my feed somewhere. And I actually, I, to be honest, I struggled to, to walk back where it was. So I think it was either like a Y Combinator News or it was in some uh, you know gaming feed that came out. Because I have like a, you know hundreds of RSS feeds that I read on an app that just looks like email. And I went back trying yeah. to find it. I couldn't find it. And then I started you know just Googling it, as people say, and it was popping up everywhere. So what are the key steps to sort of, you know, you get the thing running, you get it submitted, it's approved, you put it in the, in the, in the app stores, and so what then? Because at that stage, it's the world's best-kept secret, right? You've got to kind of get it out exactly, there. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, that is the biggest, uh, you know, thing. You know, when you're, when you're a starting out entrepreneur, you think, oh, I'll just build something and everyone's going to jump on it. Everyone's going to know about it. As soon as I press publish, people are going to be talking about it. It's just not the case. Um, you know, it's, it's like you say, it's, it's the best-kept secret, you know, being on... <laughs> You know, it's like Will Farrell said, where's the best place to, to hide a dead body on page two of Google, you know? <laughs> so I like that. I hadn't heard that before. Yeah. That's brilliant. <laughs> I'm going to have to gamify yes. that and put a web page there and see if I can pretend to be dead bodies. 
Um, <laughs> but I mean, I know I've seen. I mean, I've seen it picked up. Uh, I was reading um, on something called epigram.org.uk. There was a great thing just recently, um, and I think that was part of your alumni group for your university. There was a great pickup there, and there's a number of uh, different uh, gaming themed uh, blogs and websites that have picked it up. And I think there's a couple sure. of YouTubers that picked up as well. Um, how did you get to the point where you actually got it out there and got to them? Did you go through the normal press release process? Did you put it on social media? So, yeah, I just I, I started sharing it with my friends. Um, literally anyone who I've got contacts info for, I sent them a little you know a little synopsis of what we're trying to do, why we're trying to do it. You know, sort of who am I? Why am I doing it? And um, and then a sort of press release. Um, and we got in a few a few local newspapers, which was quite cool. Um, been on a few radio stations as well, BBC Oxford and BBC Gloucestershire. Um, so yeah, it's it's sort of it's slowly getting getting publicity and getting out there. And I mean, we've seen that in the in the growth of the, the user numbers as well. You know, I think over the last two days we we grew by a hundred users, which you know, fantastic. It's not, it's not sort of you know moonshoot figures, but it's it's something. Yeah, you got to start somewhere. I mean, uh, you know, I'm sure even Candy Crush had uh, its first 100 users had to get through. Uh, and if we, exactly. you know, if anything, I watch sort of the, sort of the trajectory of sort of, you know, the social media space, and particularly I use YouTubers because they sort of go through this process where some of them spend years building their following up to like the first thousand, then something bangs and then, boop, they just go viral. Um, and so, and for, for me, like, you know, and I'm pretty sure it came out of one of those sort of the gaming mags and it popped up in my RSS feed that uh, I read. And then um, it was just like, it just really grabbed me. I was like, oh, I've got to get on this. And then I think this is kind of how we connected, right? It was like, I was like, bugger this, I'm yeah. going to just get out and put a tweet about it. And then I got a bunch of my, my network to tweet about it and off it went and then uh, and then 24 hours later i was like wow 10 points to gryffindor i think was my first response to you because you were like hey i built this thing um and i was like excellent email me let's talk you know and, and i was like and then all of a sudden i was like okay i've got to do something about helping get this above and beyond uh because it's i mean not only is it a fun game although i have to admit it, it took me a couple of goes to sort of get to the point where i got the right game because a few people ripped off the name already which is a bit scary um, but I, I'm struggling. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'll be honest and say I'm, I'm not a, a smartphone app gamer. So I got past like level two and I stopped. I was like, okay, I got to go back and start again. I'm sure my son will. <laughs> my son will kill it all the way through. Though he's he's a legend with gaming. With um, yeah. so walk us through the process of how the actual process of the back end works. I mean, you get the game up and running. You've got it through the review process. It's approved. You get it up on both of the key app stores. You've got it out through yeah. social media and whatnot. And, and a random person like me, literally on the other side of the planet here in Sydney, and you're in Bristol in the UK. Sees it in an RSS feed, tweets it, we connect, it's great, and, and I'm glad you jumped on the show because you've been a great sport about spending some time yesterday chatting about it. Um, now that people are getting it, you're getting hundreds of downloads, uh, sort of what are the next things? So, you know, it starts to generate some money. Maybe, maybe just give us a quick insight into how it generates money and then what you're going to do with that and how that gets dispersed and who it goes to. Yeah, so, so it's completely free to play, completely free to download. Um, we, we raise the, the funds through advertising, so when you complete a level, you you watch a quick advert um, and then you you can you start playing again and so in between each level there's an advert basically and that's that's how how the main the main chunk of funding is coming through um, and we estimate that each user you know is is going to generate around two pounds um, in their lifetime but we obviously hope that that you know that's yeah. that's the figures so far so we're hoping that that's going to grow because they're going to keep playing yeah um, that's great. So yeah, um, we thought that was a pretty pretty cool impact, you know, for for one person to be raising say ten pounds for for the NHS, which is our our sort of national health service over here. Yep. Um, it really sort of resonated with people. They're like, "Wow, you mean I, just by playing this game, I can 
can actually support, you know, I can actually do something positive, you know. I was probably going to be playing, you know, Candy Crush anyway. You know, why not just, just play this instead? Oh, absolutely. Um, and then I guess the numbers yeah. game becomes even more important, doesn't it? Because, uh, uh, you know, the more people download it, the more people are playing it, hopefully the longer they're playing it, you, you, you end up going from like 2 to 4 to $10, as you said. Um, and so the, the yeah. National Health Service is kind of your end target or, or will it be a case that the, as you start to raise funds, you'll decide as to where that's going, that, fund's going to, that funding is going to go to and who you're going to disperse it to? Yeah, so in terms of uh, the messaging at the moment in the UK, saying it's going to the NHS is is really resonating with people. Of course, um, there's a there's a huge you know um, sort of support the NHS uh, thing going on. As you mentioned, Captain Tom, he's raised, wait, I, I can't remember how much, but it's million, you know, twenty million. It's plus. frightening, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's over a million people have donated, you know, and the average donation is like twenty pounds. So, you know, if we if we could get this similar sort of figures for for bioblast you know a million players say wouldn't know, raise wouldn't that be great 10 million 10 million and no one spent a penny you know and we should probably probably provide some context to folk who may not know who captain tom is so uh, a gentleman by the name of captain tom moore he's a, a world war ii veteran i think um or he must be uh of his age so he's an elderly gentleman he gets around with a, a zimmer frame styled walker and uh he, I think he set out to raise about a thousand UK pounds originally to sort of do a hundred laps of his home on his little walking track yeah, around his house, right, yeah. and uh, he was going to do it over a series, I think, a week. And uh, the last I looked, he had just pushed through the twenty-eight million UK pounds, which is sort of in the order of nearly, you know, about forty million Australian dollars, probably, you know, something yeah. probably in the order of, uh, you know, let's say, thirty million US dollars, something to that effect. Uh, and so if an elderly gentleman, a World War II vet, can walk around his house 100 times uh, and raise that kind of money, then the millennial generation can download this damn game and raise equal money as far as I'm concerned. Right, <laughs> I think, right. I think that's, 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 a, yeah. that's a call-out <laughs> challenge to, the, the, to folk around the planet is let's see if we can at least equal that fellow. But, um, I mean, he's an amazing character. But I, I do like this. I mean, I, I think it also talks to a lot of the stuff that we're concerned with uh, currently around the world, and that is that, there's no secret that there's just not been enough, uh, you know, masks and and uh, um, hand wash and sanitization wash or what you might call it in the US and 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 personal protective equipment, you know, PPE. There's just not been enough. Countries have been caught out. There's not been enough ICU beds and infrastructure. But the yeah. people on the front line, uh, I mean, I saw a story the other day, and I won't name where, but the people in the healthcare are taking garbage bags, big plastic garbage bags that you put it as an inside line of your giant-sized garbage bag, and cutting yeah. armholes and head holes in it to wear it to protect themselves. And uh, people are 3D printing face screens. And it's just like, what the hell's going on? It's 2020, <laughs> and we've run out of basic things like plastic gloves and face masks for people who are actually on the front line. Imagine if we fought a war like that, we ran out of bullets, right? It's like, oh, wait, I've got to make some more bullets. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think this really speaks to the heart of what a lot of us are really frustrated with, and, and I just love the fact you've been able to do something about it, and that is that the people who could potentially save our lives if we end up infected with COVID-19 and in hospital are the people who are at the, as much risk as the rest of us getting infected, if not more, because they're the ones on the front line helping us. So I think it's brilliant. And, and I don't even, you know, it's not a case of it doesn't matter, but like I think however much you raise is still going to be just such an inspirational story because to me it seems like, you know, this is a point in time opportunity to, to disrupt by doing this and congratulations, by the way, on on doing it. And, and I should note that 
for folk who are tuned in while you're listening, um, uh, as much as I hate to, to distract people, but grab your phone and just go to bioblast.me. So B-I-O-B-L-A-S-T.me, bioblast.me. Download it, install it while we're chatting because we won't be offended uh, and start and see if you can get to level three faster than I can. But I think... <laughs> Beyond COVID-19, right? So, you know, it's not going to last forever. I mean, we've had viral outbreaks around the world and certainly this part of the planet on this side in Asia Pacific, we've had SARS and MERS and, and others that have come and gone and we've survived and we'll survive this one. But I think it's just that, yeah. that preparedness that caught us, uh, uh, you know, uh, off guard. Uh, I imagine this could be applied to any other major, not just health crises, but but human crises, you know, whether it's a flood or a tsunami or a or, or, or you know, a boat sank or a house burnt down or whatever the case may be, you could probably apply yeah. this methodology to fundraising done a number of things. Is that something that's sort of in the back of your mind? I mean, obviously right now it's about just getting it out there. And, and by the way, anyone that's downloaded it, go and then tweet about it and shout out and put some screenshots and show us your high score, by the way, and I'll see if I can beat you. Um, <laughs> but um, what sort of, you know, now that you've got this up and running and it's, it's a case of getting it scaling, we'd love people to support it with downloading it, playing it, obviously, and contributing, but also sharing it on social media. Where to from here? Like, so, you know, obviously you want to grow it and scale it from the immediate fundraising, but is this something that you're in the back of your mind thinking about, well, I could apply it to another challenge or are you looking for people to sort of reach out and help sponsor the current thing or are you looking for sort of enterprise organizations and large companies to sort of get behind and maybe do their own branded version for the current crises or future crises? Yeah, so it's sort of, hopefully this will be sort of proof of concepts uh, territory. Um, you know, so we'll have a, We'll have a ton of data to, to show that this, this sort of concept has legs, and uh, and be able to to like you say adapt it to to various other causes. Um, you know, uh, one that's very close to me outside of coronavirus is uh, cancer research, for example. You know, yeah. I think that's something people could really get behind with a with a game like this as well. And um, the big problem that a lot of charities have in the UK, I think it's probably globally global problem actually, is that their donors tend to be the older generation. So, but um, the people who are actually most engaged with supporting charity tend to be younger people. Um, so, there's sort of a, a paradox there where the people who are most engaged with with the cause are actually the least likely to donate. Um, so, I think there's a real there's a real sort of gap in the market for something that lets people engage with something that they'd probably do anyway. They'd find it fun anyway, and it's free. And um, and it can support a cause that you're passionate about. No, I love it. I think it's fantastic. And it, as I said earlier, it just glues so many dots together for for intergenerational connect and just you know we're, there's always a moment in time where someone. I, I mean, I, I can't remember the last time I didn't get on a plane or a train or a bus, even though I haven't done that for a few weeks. Um, been at an airport, uh, just standing in line at an ATM or, or waiting to pay for groceries, and someone hasn't got their phone out playing Candy Crush or a similar game. So. If we can now pivot that away from right. sort of, you know, and we don't want to take any business away from some of those games. Good luck to them. They're creating a great industry and creating jobs. But at the same time, if, if a fraction of a fraction can can use it for social good, uh, as you said, like a Cozier and other websites that, you know, you use it as your, your core search engine, you can plant trees for it. I think I think this is what people are looking for now. They, you know, we've got a bunch of spare time. We consume that with various things. One thing I was going to note, though, is I do love the model you approached with using in because one of the things that struck me with this when I was looking at it was, um, when I look at game developers and the way they get in game spending, uh, it seems in the West that you know putting a credit card in or you know layering up for a couple of dollars here and there seems to make sense. But when you think about the 7.4 billion people around the planet, half of those people uh, are sort of connected to the internet and have technology, um, and, but the bulk of those people are in developing nations and just don't have cash to spare on that. 
So, you know, in Southeast Asia, through India, through the bulk of uh, South America and, and, and all the 54 territories and states in Africa, all of the games are launched with, with in-game video because they've got time, which then yeah. translates to advertising, but they don't have money. So I really love the fact you took that angle because that then makes it, uh, I guess, you know, a, a, a leveler of the field to the globe that anyone can get it and play it and, and still feel that by watching the ads and generating revenue that way, which is almost no effort, uh, they're contributing yeah. the same level as someone anywhere else on the planet. And I think that's a nice leveler of the field. Uh, and it'll certainly scale. And uh, Ericsson put out a report every year, uh, every three months or so called the uh, Ericsson Mobility Report. And in it, they state, they share a whole bunch of stats around the deployment of new onboarding of people with phones. And this will blow your mind, but they, Ericsson globally onboard 1 million new subscribers with handsets per day. Um, wow. <laughs> and when you think about the, the new and emerging markets, I think this would really appeal to in many ways other than just the traditional Western market is that when you think about the 1.1 billion people in the 54 territories and states of, of, in, of Africa, sorry, and then the 1.3 billion people in India and the 1.45 billion people in China, let's say it's 3.8 billion people. The most of them are unbanked and unconnected. So as they go, I can imagine there's probably an opportunity for you to actually approach the phone companies or the carriers and say, can we preload the app? Um, you know, I, I, won't, yeah. I won't name carrier names, but you can imagine the top one or two carriers in each nation would probably be open to the idea of having the game preloaded with their, you know, you get a branded phone with a prepaid bundle that comes as a, let's say, British Telecom uh, prepaid bundle with a, a phone. It's got pre-installed apps for their accounts and whatnot. I can imagine that would be an avenue to play too, because then as it's rolled out globally, you've got a, a market of potentially, you know, the better part of 3 billion people who are about to get their first phone. There's a million of them being signed up a day just by Ericsson and through the networks they support. So I, I think the future for this is just so bright. It's exciting. I, I can't wait to see where it goes. How do people yeah. How do people reach out to you right now? I mean, you've just got up and running. Um, it's 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 getting hundreds of downloads a day from the sounds of things and starting to really yeah. build some momentum. Sounds to me like you've pushed a snowball to the top of the hill and now it's got its own momentum down the other side. How do people reach out to you, get involved, support it? So beyond the obvious of we want them to download it from bio, uh, bioblast.me, play it and engage with it, watch the videos and raise funds, tweet about it, put it on LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever, maybe post screenshots of their high scores and see if I can beat them. Absolutely, yeah. What, what yeah. are the key things that, uh, you'd like people to do from here on in as far as uh, supporting you, getting engaged, maybe even reaching out to talk about investing in the next round? Yeah, so um, there's a contact form on the, on the website too at the very bottom uh, if you're interested in, in getting in touch. I uh, love to hear all, you know, I'm always open to feedback. It's, it's, it's the lifeblood of any, of any new venture feedback. So, so yeah, really keen to hear from, from people we've had, we've had amazing feedback so far, but also keen to hear, hear not so amazing feedback. Cause that's, that's how you learn and, and how you adapt and, and improve. Indeed. So, so yeah, just so, so open and um, yeah, give it, give us a review on the app stores and share it with your friends and compete with people and, you know, and, and make, make a difference. Sounds good. Well, I, I definitely, I, as I said, I recommend people go to bioblast.me and download it and play it. I'd love to see it uh, in social media and also tagging you. Uh, you're on Twitter and other places. Uh, what's the best way to reach you on Twitter? What's your Twitter handle uh, for them to tag you? Uh, I actually have a confession to make. I'm, I'm not very good on Twitter. Oh, that's okay. Um, <laughs> that's all right. Well, we'll get people just to... Yeah. Sh- in fact, we should do an ice bucket challenge where people get it and then post a screenshot of their uh, high score and then tag three yeah. friends to download it and try and beat their high score. That would be good fun. Um, I'll yeah, kick, I'll kick that off tonight. That would be mad. Um, <laughs> who would you like to get in touch with you as far as going forward to develop it? I mean, I imagine, you know, other than obviously, you know, folk like UN and, and, and UNICEF and others that would be exciting to get involved in, are there any key sort of spaces you'd like? I mean, uh, you know, 
would you like to have, say, you know, marketing or advertising firms reach out, or would you like large enterprise to reach out and see if they'll do a, a branded version? Who who could help most you uh, help, uh, most help you from this point on that you'd love to reach out to you through the website and ping you? Yeah. So in terms of short term, I think any any media outlet we'd we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to feature. Um, you know, it's a really really great story. Um, really positive coronavirus story. You know, in amongst all this doom and gloom. So. So yeah, we'd really love to hear from any any media outlets. Um, in terms of more long longer term, any any sort of uh, medium medium sized enterprises or even you know Fortune 500, whatever. Um, if you if you've got got a plan, then let's let's have a chat. I love it. Sounds good. And last question before we wrap up: um, Where to from here? I mean, you know the. The world's dealing with the pandemic now. We're going through different phases. I mean, you know, China's effectively through it. Australia, for example, where I am, we're in the last sort of week or two of it. The beaches are opening up. The the EU and UK are sort of in the the hump of it, I imagine. The US is sort of being pummeled with at the moment. They'll get through it. We'll all we'll come through this, and and there will be some unfortunate losses of lives because of all the health issues and challenges that come around this. But the world will recover, and we'll get through this. Uh, where to from here? Like in the next 12 to 18 months, once the COVID-19 coronavirus uh, world pandemic is, is sort of dealt with and addressed and we slowly get back to normality and we're back to our offices working and people are back on the train playing Bioblast and, and continue to contribute, um, what's in the back of your mind is kind of where you want to go next? I mean, obviously, you, I imagine you'll get your photography business up and going and look at, at reapplying that to other spaces. But as far as the game Bioblast, are there any sort of hopes and aspirations you'd have uh, beyond the obvious raising some funds uh, that you might want to take it further over the next 12 to 18 months and beyond? Yeah, so so hopefully coronavirus can be over sooner rather than later. Um, it's obviously, like you say, it's going to happen. Um, but at that stage, you know, I think we can, you know, we can easily pivot to, to funding some other great cause. And and um, I, I'm always really keen to, to sort of get user feedback on that. So, you know, if, if there comes a stage when you know coronavirus doesn't need funding anymore, you know coronavirus relief doesn't need funding anymore, then then we'll we'll put it to our users. We'll say you know we're not gonna you know we've we've made donations to coronavirus relief. They don't really need our help anymore. You know what would you like um, us to to contribute to now instead? Um, you know so we can sort of put that to a vote. Put that you know get suggestions, crowdsource it, and 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 see see what the users want to do really. Um, you know, personally, I'd, I'd be really keen to, to support something like cancer research and uh, maybe get them on board as a as a, as a partner um, and get them putting it out to their to their sort of uh, donors and, and beneficiaries and and supporters. Um, so yeah, I think that's 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 a sort of the rough plan that uh, that I've made in sort of five minutes with <laughs> in the spare time that I've had. Yeah, I was, developing, I was, you know. And, I was gonna- well, actually, I meant to ask you. I mean, how how are you uh, how are you coping with this whole thing personally? I mean, you know, I, I guess one of the things we forget about now is we've been through it for a number of weeks, and we're sort of taking for granted that everyone's okay. I mean, uh, how how has this been for you as far as this journey goes? I mean, it's 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 a shock for all of us to cope with it. But I mean, how are you coping with this thing, sort of working from home? You've obviously done some amazing things yeah. with launching this new venture, but you know, uh, are hopefully no one immediately in your family sort of too directly affected and so forth. I mean, what's this journey been like for you as far as the lockdown at home and just? The, the, your take on where the world's at yeah so i think i think developing this app has been my coping mechanism really um because i wouldn't just be i i'm just not the sort of person who could just sort of sit around and, and not really do much i had to do something um you know i'd just be worrying about it you know my, my grandparents are, are very very elderly in 90 and 96 and so um you know 
in those first few days when lockdown was announced, I was just I just found myself thinking, you know, if 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 they get it, that's, that's probably going to be the last thing that happens to them. So, you know, that really spurred me on, and I just I couldn't just sit there and think, you know, worry about that. I had to do something, you know, positive, and and it made me feel like I'm um helping them somehow, you know, because we can't go and see them, we can't. You know, we can talk on the phone, but um, my grandfather suffers from dementia and stuff. So, you know, you talk to him on the phone, but he can't remember. You you phoned him five minutes ago. So it's all very, very sad. But, you know, it was, like I say, it was my, my way of coping. Um, yeah. Uh, look, it's it's inspiring, mate. And, and, like, my heart goes out to you because, like, I... Uh, I, I can't imagine what that sort of journey is like as far as that. I mean, in my age, my grandparents are gone but my, and my dad's gone. But, you know, I worry about where my mum's at. She's she's in another state and I talk to her every day. But yeah. uh, she's young and healthy enough to sort of get through through this sort of thing. Uh, but I, I've got this a mental image of, of everyone now downloading and putting on their grandparents' phones uh, in, in, in aged care. <laughs> that would be pretty cool. Um, well, let me throw one last idea at you before we wrap up. I would love to have a leaderboard website so that as we download and play it, we could technically register and uh, and have a, like an intergame challenge where I could sort of challenge. I want to go, look, I'm, I'm in the top 100 in the world. I think that would be good fun to have like a, a little web-based platform. We could have a leaderboard and then a, a tweet button where it says, you know, like, okay, there's my result. There's my high score. Beat it. Uh, I think that, yeah. would, that would be a really fun viral concept because then all of a sudden you've got people just posting directly from the app or from a leaderboard uh, where they're at. And, yeah. and, and as we know, nothing, nothing uh, gets people uh, interested <laughs> more than a challenge to beat their pens, uh, pals and friends and family. But, uh, Absolutely, well, yeah. Well, Nick, congratulations on this amazing project. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to catch up with you and, and, and I look forward to, uh, uh, to getting to know more about it as it grows. And I wish you every success with it. It's just such, I mean, you're an inspiration and, and, and the project's an inspiration and, and I dearly want everyone to go to bioblast.me and download and play with it. And again, post your high scores and I'll see if I can beat you and then tag three people and see if they can beat you and let's see where we can go. Um, and yeah. we'd love anyone in the media, or if you know anyone in the media, if you're listening in, reach out to Nick directly um, on the bioblast.me website. That's connect with him directly there. And let's just get this thing out there. And yeah, I just can't wait to see what you're going to do next. Uh, I'm, I'm really stoked. And uh, let's just, you know, hope everyone gets out, out of this whole pandemic qu- quickly and safely. And then uh, you can go on to build bigger and better things because uh, uh, there's such a long list of things on this planet to be solved. I, I can only imagine where it's going to go. Um, but Nick, thanks again for your time, mate. It's been a real pleasure. And uh, look, we'll have you on the show again soon because I'm sure you'll have many more great stories and anecdotes. And in the meantime, stay safe and, um, and all the best for your extended family and your grandparents. Thank you very much. Yeah, no, it's been it's been really good fun. So yeah, thank you very much.